The following presentation has been prepared by the Video Tax News team for Canadian tax and financial professionals. Program recorded May 29th, 2020. Enjoy! Well, welcome to this month's edition of Life in the Tax Line. My, what a road it has been over the past few months. You'll notice that Caitlin isn't with us here today, and that's because she just had a brand new baby. So congratulations, Caitlin. We're very happy for you and proud of you. But how about you, Hugh? How are you doing? Well, Joe, I think most of us in tax are thrilled that we are now past, depending on your viewpoint, either April 62nd or the month of April, and <laughs> the T1s are done, or at least largely done. We move forward into June, which for some reason started on the 2nd this year. My goodness. Well, um, let's get away from dates for a second and focus on our first topic, which is atheism. What does atheism have to do with tax? Uh, well, this is the concept here. We had an organization, an atheistic organization, that wanted to register as a charity so that it could essentially issue donation receipts. Uh, can you do it? Well, there are a number of provisions that would have to be met. The first is, are you a, relig a religion at all? And uh, the courts took a look at this. This was the Federal Court of Appeal and ultimately decided that no, uh, it is not considered a religion. Why? Well, to meet the definition, you have to have a particular and comprehensive system of faith. So, you know, you need to have doctrine, the things that you do, more systematic sort of processes there. And according to what was submitted in this application, they didn't have sufficient detailed things that they were doing. What about you, Hugh? What do you think about this? I have to admit, Joe, the phrase Church of Atheism seems a little jarring, uh, but I think we now know you've got to have some dogma, some liturgies, some religious processes, much like most of us would have gone through uh, in Sunday school, even if we're no longer part of a church today. Uh, now, what Joe, I also like the fact that they came back and said, but there's other things that could make yes. me a church. I provide great beneficial services to the community at large, that's enough to be a charity. What did the court think of that? Well, the court said, yes, you do provide these excellent services. However, you got to look at who you're providing it for. They're only providing it for their members and not the community as a whole. Therefore, they didn't meet that condition either. So at the end of the day, they lost, not able to get their charitable registration status approved. I'm curious, Joe, whether that community service is going to come to the fore as more organizations are dealing with the aftermath of COVID. And, uh, for us in tax, we got the aftermath of COVID to deal with, too. A lot of workers who've been working remotely right. have incurred some costs. And we're hoping CRA is going to give us a lot more guidance, but we think we uh, at least got the tip of the iceberg. What if I needed to work remotely and my employer subsidized a purchase of some computer hardware, some right. tech, that I wasn't going to be able to work remotely without? Well, CRA started off saying, normal rule is if you, the employee, own an asset and your employer paid for it, you got a taxable benefit. Well, a key word there to me would have been normally. And CRA hinged on it too and said, this is not normal times in any stretch. So if you've got receipts back to the employer and they reimbursed you 500 or less towards that hardware, we're going to accept that because of the abnormal circumstances of COVID, that was for the employer's benefit, not yours, and you're not going to be taxable. So good news for some employees who may have got a little helping hand in setting up that home office during the pandemic. And just a follow-up point there, I mean, there could be a number of your 
overall home expenses, which are deductible in respect to that home office, don't forget those, to get those T2200s and you actually do have to be required to work from home. Uh, so, so anyways, we'll have a link for that uh, below this video as well. Now, moving on to the next topic here, the 10% temporary wage subsidy. So what would happen, we, we have two wage subsidies, the 75 and the 10%. The 10%, you basically reduce your income tax payroll withholdings by 10% of your gross payroll, and that's supposed to help you immediately. Now, we got this new 75% subsidy, which came later, and how that works is you reduce whatever you get under that program by whatever you were supposed to get under the 10% program, whether you claimed it or not. Now, this got a little bit confusing because some people didn't claim it, and now you know they, have to, they applied for SUS, and they didn't erode it or reduce it by the right amount, and it got very confusing. So we've now got a, a legislative change here, um, which would allow us to deal with this in a simpler way, where essentially you can elect for that 10% amount to be zero so that your SUS payment is not reduced as well. Now, how does this work? Well, first of all, you don't reduce your source deductions submitted to CRA. So that's the first step. Second step is um, when you actually file your SUS application, you don't reduce it by 10%. So most people would have already done those first two steps. And the third step is once this 10% program ends in June, there'll be a form available for you, essentially a reconciliation form, where you enter in the information that you're electing for that 10% to be 0% at that point. Um, so we'll see what happens when we get that actual form, but we have another option available to us. Joe, I think that's really good news for a lot of employers who, when the 75% subsidy was announced, said, I'm not doing this twice. Mm -hmm. I'll just leave the 10% off the table, claim the whole thing under the 75%, and didn't realize that even if you didn't claim it, you were considered to have claimed it and you had to reduce the SUS claim. Now, CRA is saying, you know what, as long as you fill out that form with 0% down the road, we're going to ignore the whole thing. You get your full 75%, we walk away. Now, obviously, you can't double dip and claim both. So if you made that error, you're going to have to fix it. But for everybody else, pretty smooth sailing and good on CRA and finance for making it at least a little bit easier for those employers who were potentially eligible for both and didn't want to go through the hassle of claiming both. Uh, now, Hugh, why don't we uh, just jump on to one other topic here, if that's okay with you. Mm -hmm. The supplemental unemployment benefit plans from the ESDC perspective. Can you tell me a little bit about it and why we care? Well, that would have been one of the fun ones, Joe. And these are, uh, when we did some research, figured out different under the Income Tax Act than they are under the EI Act. The common uh, ones, the much more common ones, are the ones that are registered with Service Canada for EI purposes. And basically, you got to follow a lot of rules couple of the key ones, the employer funds the whole thing, and yep. we cap out at 95% of your salary. So I'm going to temporarily lay off my employees. EI will pay them what they're entitled to. I'll top it up to up to 95% of their ordinary income. And if I've done this right and registered it with Service Canada, they say, that's not going to prejudice your EI. You'll get your EI benefits. Okay, well, what about the CERB benefit that we're getting instead of EI? Well, there the news is not good. ESDC says, no, CERB is a much more simple program. And one of the simplifications was we don't integrate these supplementary benefits. So if you are topping up those employees, it will be income that counts against you for your CERB eligibility towards that $1,000 maximum you can earn during that CERB period. So 
Not good news for some of these supplemental employment benefit plans. We haven't heard CRA weigh in on their views. Does this qualify for the SUS? But I'd have to say, looking at the legislation in the Income Tax Act, it probably doesn't look good at this point. I would be uh, erring on the side of caution and excluding that from my SUS claims unless and until CRA comes out and says, yes, you can count that as remuneration. It certainly doesn't look good under the legislation. So unfortunately, the programs and these supplementary unemployment benefit plans don't mesh well. Well, let's move on to the next topic here, and that has to do with director liability and challenging the corporate assessment. So we had a corporation which was uh, assessed or, or received an assessment in respect of GST HST. It didn't appeal, didn't fight back, so the assessment stood. They couldn't collect it from the corporation, so they went after the director for it and issued a director liability assessment. The director took a look at this and said, this is crazy. You know, the corporation should have appealed it. I want to appeal it now. Can you directly make a, you know, appeal that corporate assessment? The answer is no. But in looking at whether this director liability assessment stands of whatever amount, you are able to essentially challenge the underlying figure related to it. So, um, you know, just because it has been assessed to you as a director doesn't mean you lose your ability to fight where this problem started. Thoughts on that, Hugh? Joe, I think that was a really solid case. The Federal Court of Appeal is about as high as tax decisions go. And they took a step back and said, this isn't just GST director liability. This is every situation where you are required to pay someone else's taxes. Right. You're not required to pay more than they should properly have been assessed, even if it's too late for them to appeal. So that was pretty good news. Mm-hmm. Well, Hugh, is there anything else you want to mention, El, um, for the rest of this month? I think hopefully we're going to enter a summer that's a little friendlier than the COVID environment has been, and hopefully everyone out there is staying healthy and well. Thank you very much. Wishing you all the best from us at Video Tax as well. Don't forget to check out our Video Tax uh, COVID page. A lot of great information there. Have a great one. The Video Tax News team has been providing Canadian professionals with practical tax information for over 30 years. Subscribe to one of our tax newsletters or join us as we present live and online seminars relating to both personal and corporate tax. For more details, visit www.videotax.com. The preceding information is for general informational purposes only and deals with dynamic, time-sensitive, and complex matters that may not apply to particular facts and circumstances. Information provided should not be relied upon as a substitute for specialized professional advice in connection with any particular matter. For more details, see www.videotax.com slash disclaimer. Copyright Video Tax News, Inc. 2020. All rights reserved.